a amen. What a great worship service. If we could have the kiddos 11 and under, if you guys want to go downstairs, Miss Brooke. Or say, hey, Miss Brooke. Don't you all go at once. Fantastic. Um, this morning, I just wanted to... Uh, well, you know what? First, let's do this real quick. I want to, I want to pray with uh, Margaret and her family. Her sister is going through cancer right now and some treatments, and she's going back in for treatments to have things removed uh, and to, uh, for radiation and things. So I want us to pray and stand with her. Do you guys mind? Somebody wants to put their hand over there with uh, Margaret, so we stand in the gap for her. She's uh, right in the middle of a battle right now, and we want to enter this battle with her. Lord Jesus, we just thank you right now for your presence and your power. And we just pray for Margaret's sister. And Lord, we just pray that you would just move in a very wonderful way in Germany, in her home, in her body right now. Lord, we just lift her up right now by your word. God, you said you sent forth your word and healed them. And Lord, we just pray for healing and we pray that you would minister to her through this crazy time of her life. And Lord, I know there's people even in this place that have gone through that very dark journey. And Lord, we just send forth your word of hope, Lord Jesus in your word. And we thank you for that. God, we pray that you touch her. Touch Margaret right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. She's just on my heart. And Margaret's, uh, we're praying for her. And we're, uh, Margaret's a fighter. And we're going to fight with Margaret. We're going to have the same tenacity as Margaret. Amen. Margaret, you're in the right section for this situation here. Not any, all joking aside, but these ladies over here, they, that's who you want to be with. You want to be with people who've been through that fight. Oh, yeah, we can, yeah, absolutely. I totally do that. Um, uh, Jordan is leaving, flying out today. So we met with Jordan and prayed with him, and uh, Jordan is going to be a Marine. And uh, so he's been uh, preparing and this is something that Jordan is a, just an awesome young man, and uh, and just we just need to pray for protection and everything else. You wanna you wanna pray or me a prayer? It doesn't matter. Okay, Lord, we just thank you for Jordan right now, and God, I just thank you for his life, Lord Jesus, for the calling on him, Lord, and for him to just really give him himself, Lord Jesus, to the ultimate call and cause, Lord Jesus, for our country. And Lord, I just pray that you would be his rear guard, that you would go before him, and that you would be behind him. And Lord, I just thank you for your protection over him. And God, I thank you that you're sending him to the right thing, to the right situation, at the right place, at the right time, for this moment. And Jesus, I just pray as he's flying there, that you give him peace that passes understanding. God, that you would surround him with the right people. We thank you, God, that you're ordering and ordaining every step in his life, Lord Jesus, up to this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God's at work. Um, I wanted to talk to you today um, about... Sin, isn't that fun? Everyone say, uh-oh. uh-oh. So we're talking about sin today and, and really the beginnings of it. You can clear back, go to Genesis. We all know the story of, of Adam and Eve and the original fall. Um, I think where the church has lost grasp of the reality of sin, if you don't understand sin, then you'll never understand grace. Because if you don't know what you've been saved from, then grace doesn't mean anything to you. And for all of us today in the church, and um, 
We have a lot of uh, meanings that we have come up with now. In fact, I was reading a great book by Kyle Eidelman, and he said there's an interesting word in sin. A century or two ago, our vocabulary was rich in synonyms for sin. Words like iniquity, transgression, turpitude, depravity, reprobation. The New Testament Greek had 33 different words for sin. I read a few years ago the Oxford Junior Dictionary, having long since scratched out the words listed above, we now call sins words like mistake and unfortunate choices. And we think today that sin is too preachy. And we don't, we don't forget what Jesus did. Where did Jesus' ministry start? Jesus' ministry started with repent. That was Jesus' first words out of the book. Was repent. And for in the church today, kind of where we're at, and even where I'm going through in my own life, and kind of looking and really dealing with things, I really believe the church in America, not at large, the church at large, we're, we're in the biggest revival of this world history that we're in. More people are coming to Christ than ever before. People are falling in love with Christ. You know when those uh, Islamic nations, Muslims, who are radicalized and doing all sorts of crazy atrocities to Christians, and complete genocide as we look back and think nothing really is going on. And we realize what's happening. Do you realize that Jesus himself is appearing in visions to people overseas, Muslim people, Muslim men and women, who have been even out in the battlefield fighting against Christ. He has shown up to them in vision and then come to Christ. See, we forget that the incarnate Christ, he even came before he came. Don't you think Jesus is at work after he came? I believe we in the church, we have just got by and, and kind of effect, we've kind of taken sin out of our churches. We've taken sin out of our dialect and our dialogue. We do call things that we do. I made a mistake there. I, whoops, I am, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, it doesn't have any value to us because we don't know what the sin has cost Jesus Christ for us. I believe the root of the problem is our heart. Turn to someone and say, we need a heart check. We never should be pleased to dwell on a level of existence lower than that which God has made possible for us to dwell. Can I have a raise of hands if anybody has ever sinned in this place before? Can I? Oh my goodness, we have got a bunch of sinners up in here. I thought church was part of those goody two-shoes. We're all goody two-shoes in here, aren't we? Right. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. Here's another concept that the New Age community doesn't want, or the humanistic community, or the uh, relativism there, is something called the depravity of man. That I was born in sin. When I came out of my mother's womb, I was born in sin. I was not a good person. You know why we need a Savior today? Because we aren't good people. I don't care if you bake an apple pie for someone or you're a great neighbor. When it comes to sin in our relationship to Christ, we don't smell too good. And I think we have allowed ourselves, when it comes to the bar where we're at, we've allowed the existence and allowed ourselves to have cohabitation. We've cohabited with the Father, the Heavenly Father, who the Bible says is holy. And He is completely other than us. He's nothing like us. And we want sin comes in into our homes, and we think God is cool with that. We think that God is okay with that. That we think that holiness and sin can abide. 
The Bible says God can't look even upon holiness. Do you know what sin was put on Jesus? Jesus didn't just take the sins. He actually became sin for us. And when he took sin and he became sin, it was in that very moment, no other time in all of eternity, had the Father turned away from his Son. Because he couldn't even look on sin himself. But we go on sinning and we do our life. Like it's no big deal. I'm just me. I'm just me. I'm just, what? I mean, I don't have any expectations. I'm like, God has huge expectations out of you. Huge! The picture of the American Christian is not a picture painted in the Bible at all, is it? We should never be pleased to dwell on a level of existence lower than that which God has made possible for us to dwell we should strive to be the best we can be and reach to the highest levels we can reach. One of my favorite verses of scriptures, you're probably getting annoyed because I say it so much, is the Bible says that we go from one state of existence to a greater state of existence. We go from one set of glory to the next. That's Christ's idea for you and me in my life. Is that we're to go from glory to glory. We're not supposed to be going backwards. The New Testament believers were never going backwards. Now, they weren't perfect. They had plenty of problems in the church. Paul had to deal with many of them. Paul himself had problems. He got in fights and things. I am not saying that. What I am saying is their drive and their motivation and where they were pointing was due north in the kingdom for what God had for them. Here's our sin in the church. I believe our sin in the church is that we've developed a form of godliness and we've denied the power thereof. What the heck's that supposed to mean? Well, we've got it all formed. Like, you know, we, we, we've, we've done church pretty good, haven't we? We've got the forms down. We've got the church down. We've got the ceremony down. We've got it all down. We have a form of godliness. But deep down where that heart calls deep, calling unto deep, is there things going on that's reaching down in our life that's actually creating and causing change? Because, you know what, my theory is this, and it's a really crazy theory I know, but when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you become a new believer, you're a different person. How many of you, when you got saved, you ran completely the other different direction in your life? Oh, good poor people in here. Man, when God saved you, He saved you from filth. He saved you from stuff. He saved you from seeking thinking. He saved you from it all. And He said, I never want to go back to that. That's the identity of a new believer. A form of godliness that we deny the power thereof. So I'm talking to the believing church. In the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, we have the seven churches Jesus deals with. So I want to talk to the church. I want to talk at the in-house. I want to talk in Revelation where it says, I stand at the door and I knock. He is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers saying, wake up and understand that the problem in our American culture is not potential presidents or this or that. The problem goes deep into the heart of the church. Think it an Amen. The problem is that we have a lackluster church that is not on fire for Jesus and a church that is living just like the world. Shane Claiborne wrote in The Irresistible Revolution. He said, I developed a form of bulimia where I did my devotions and I read all the new Christian books and saw the Christian movies 
and then vomited information up to friends and small groups and pastors. But it never had a chance to digest. I had gorged myself on all the products of Christian industrial complex, but was spiritually starving to death. I was marked by an overconsumption, but malnourished spiritually. I suffocated by Christianity, but I was thirsty for God. We have spiritual bulimia going on. We are shallow in the faith, but we are deep in the Christian business. We have all the things that we can do. We've listened to all the music. We have multiple radio stations and entertainments and all these things. But we are not getting any closer to Christ in doing so. I love our bumper stickers. They're beautiful. And I love our t-shirts we wear. And I love we sit in Starbucks as we're all saying, I'm under persecution. This coffee is so cold. I can't believe the air conditioning is here. It's eight in the rain. I'm suffering for Jesus. We don't even wake up. When are we going to wake up to the condition of the American church? Can we all agree that the church thing, we've got it down? I don't want church anymore. And I think you're sick of church. And here's what God's going to do in the last days. By the way, some of us are waiting for God to judge the sinners. Oh, just pray to God, judge these people, all those sinners, those People carrying them rainbow flags. Get them, Lord. Get them. Get them. Judgment comes in the house of God first. And God's going to shake up His church in these last days. That's all of us. And in the last days, He's going to shake us up. And we can no longer ignore or glaze over the spiritual condition in the American church. We are one short generation from becoming England, folks. Do you realize that these kids nowadays, when they turn 18, they're not going back to church? Do you know that? Do you know why they're not going back to church? Because really the parents aren't going to church. You want to have church be relevant? Parent, go to church. Parents are going to say, go to church. Here's what God's going to do as this generation we're losing and will never come back. God's going to turn your undiagnosed tension. Are you ready for this? Guess what he's going to do with your undiagnosed tension? Anybody have any tension in your life? Here's what he does with tension, okay? We want to pray that God takes the tension away. God's not taking the tension away. It's going to get hotter. In fact, it gets hotter before it gets better. We go into the furnace of affliction and God, what he does in that furnace is he actually starts to refine us. And the Bible says, as he puts us in, he puts us seven times in over till all the dross and all the stuff comes out of us to what he has. Here's the goal for your life and for my life. It's not a happy life, it's a holy life. God's goal for your life and my life is not for you to be a happier version of you. He wants you to be a holy version of himself. We've had enough of us. He's going to refine us and he's going to throw us back in. Steve, you're not ready yet. No, I think I'm ready. No, no, you're not. How many church members say, I don't think I'm ready? <laughs> I want to be ready, but I'm not ready. God, I want to go. I'm dealing with this, Lord. What do I do? Get back in it. You're not out yet. But I'm right there with you, forming you, and making you. How many have 
wrestle with stuff in your life, you say, now I'm going back in. We're all going back in together. We don't do this alone. We do this by the power of the Spirit. And He starts to change us. And we're no longer conformed by the patterns of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. I dare say this, that in the church today, we are doing more conforming to the world's standards than being transformed by the uplifting Word of God. This Bible will convict you if you let it. This Bible will challenge you if you let it. When you read the words of this book, do you allow it to seep into your inner pores of your soul? And do you allow it, allow it to come out and deal with things in your life that you might have been avoiding for a long time? I'm not talking about church as usual. I'm talking about people who get on their face before God and say, God, change me today. Here's what happens. God will turn your undiagnosed tension, Jen Hatmaker writes, into a full-blown spiritual crisis. He will turn your tension into an outright chaos. Well, I thought God was going to come to bring peace to my life. He will, after He deals with all your storms. And when you go into that furnace, and when you go into all those things, you'll realize that you are at the bottom of air. Haven't you noticed when you go through desperate times in your life where you've failed and everything, isn't that where some of your greatest cries have been? Folks, it's a beautiful thing. God gets glory in it all, even in the sin. I'm not saying sin is good. I'm just saying that God will use our weaknesses and then His strength comes out of that weakness because we've reached out to God at levels that we've never reached before. Folks, I'm not, I'm not thinking America's going down this happy path again that we're going to go back 100 years. We're not going back there, folks. We're going to a new place and a new territory that America's never been before in its own morality. And the church is going to be called a remnant. And the thing that we're complaining about is the very things that the Bible tells us that we're to become. We're to be light in darkness. And we curse the darkness and it's time for us to start blessing the darkness with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is crucified and that he can save us from our sins. It's a timeless story. What happens? Your two worlds were collide, I believe, in the American church. Kind of like what's been said before. I've used this line. Gandhi once said this. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I like your Christ. No one can disagree on Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Why is that changing anything? Because the Christians aren't allowing the cross to change them. Here's what I believe is going to have to happen at the core of it, at the root of it all. There's a time or a season for repentance. Why don't you turn in your Bibles real quick to Ezekiel chapter 16. <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 16. They use something... In the Old Testament, for seasons of repentance, they used stuff called sackcloth and ashes. And they would put this sackcloth on to represent kind of them becoming to the end of themselves. And they would do that as a sign of mourning. And let me tell you something. What we don't need more right now is we don't need more rah-rah, cheer-cheer, you're a great person. We need people to say, God, 
we beg of your, we plead of your mercy over this nation as we have trampled your word under our foot. We beg for mercy in our churches. We beg for mercy in my own life, God, how I have pointed my finger at you with proud and haughtiness. Sackcloth and ashes, Kyle Edelman writes throughout Scripture, there's a connection between mourning over sin of every kind and receiving God's blessing. In fact, usually what would happen with repentance, it was to go on for a season in between seven days and 30 days where whole congregations would come together and they would do nothing but mourn. Can you imagine that? Church attendance would go way down for that one. I want to happy. I'm going to feel good when I do this. I want to feel better about myself after. We cover our stuff up. We cover our sin up. We cover our things up. And we keep living the same way, asking God to bless us and do the same things while we still have the same mental patterns, the same things we do, the way we talk, everything. And we just want God to bless it all. Why isn't God blessing me? Ezekiel 16, verse 63. says this, So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Then, when I make atonement for you and all you've done, turn to someone and say, you've done it a whole lot. You will remember and be ashamed. And never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. There is something really healthy. Rabbi Zacharias, a beautiful, awesome speaker and apologetic that goes on campuses to Oxford and Harvard, just a brilliant man. You sit there and you just open your mouth wide as he speaks. He talks something about having a healthy amount of shame in our life. You know, we always talk about shame being a bad thing. And really, when you look at the biblical context of shame, it's amazing. You know what? If you don't have shame for something, you'll never change, will you? Don't feel bad about something. Yeah, that's no big, I don't know, no big deal. Yeah, that's no problem. And he deserved it. Yeah, that's no shame, you know? We don't have shame anymore. We, man, we are proud of our sin now. We boast about our attitude. We boast about who we are. Shame is this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it says to be ashamed, disappointed, or embarrassed. Among it derives our busha or boshet, which is translated shame, but refers to an idol. The idol itself was considered a shame or an embarrassment. You know the idols that we have in our life. You got any in your life? You have to answer that. But are there anything in your life that is completely crowded out the Lord? Are there things in you that, that you're holding on to that are precious to you? That God is saying, I want ownership of that. Give me that back. Is that an idol? As the Holy Spirit prods you and starts to say, no, you're doing that. That's become something that you've said above me. I don't know what it is. I think in general, a lot of the, the, the idols can be anything from money to lust to power, whatever it is. But you're going to have to identify that idol. And just like the prophets of old in the Old Testament went through crashing down idols, just like in the New Testament where Peter declared, me and, me and Hunter were reading the Bible story about Peter coming in there and he was preaching to people and Paul and they would say, you can't worship those other gods that have Jesus in your life. Get rid of them. It's New Testament, not Old Testament. God doesn't share room with other gods. Jehovah God shares no room with other ones. 
Being ashamed is the result of remembering the path we walked before coming into God's covenant. When you look at the past, you say, God, I can't believe that. You're remorseful. A season of mourning. Turn real quick to James chapter 4. You're like, well, you know, we live in the New Testament, Steve. It's grace, God's grace, grace, grace. Yeah, we do. And thank God for it that I don't have to go sacrifice a bull when I leave here. James chapter 4, 8 through 10. New Testament now for the New Testament junkies. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. I thought God was just going to show up every time I... No, you go near to God, you enter into his presence. He's not your butler. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Turn your laughter into mourning. What? Man, we, we, are, we are literally on the brink of disaster in our country. And the church just keeps doing its thing, doing it, whatever it is. And we need to get to the point where we say, God, man, I want to humble myself. I want to turn from my wicked ways so that I, you will hear from heaven and you'll do my way. We need our laughter to turn to mourning. We need our understanding of where things are at and building a context of our lives and the slop that we continue to play in. Do you know the prodigal son, do you know what the amazing part in his life, when he finally got to the point where he was at the end of himself, isn't that where God showed up? He was at the end of himself, and he was sitting there playing with the slop with the pigs and eating pig's food. And he said, man, I could be a servant in my father's house, and I would be better than this. And we, we play in the slop. And we're living low standard lives. And the reality is spiritually for you and I, we could have so much more. But the Bible says this, to purify your hands, to clean your heart. I don't know where you need to purify your hands or wash your hands. Do you know when you get into life and things, it's important to wash your hands, isn't it? You know, wash your hands before you eat dinner. You know, we have our hands, if we've got unclean hands spiritually in our life, man, we need to send them to the throne of grace and say, God, forgive me of this. The Bible says confess your sins one to another. I challenge you this week, if there is somebody accountable in your life, that you can talk to a friend or whatever, that you can speak to them and say, I just want to confess this to you right now, that I've been in sin in this, and I want to give this up. Would you stand with me and be strong with me and iron sharpens iron? How dare we do that in the church? Man, when's the last time we actually confessed sins? And I don't mean the big ones, folks. No, that's the easy stuff. We can all figure out the big stuff, can't we? The big sins. We have, we have acceptable sins in the church now when we do things backbiting, gossip. Those, those, they have a But we need to start washing our hands again. Say, God, forgive me for my hand touching that stuff and getting into this. God, God, forgive me, Lord Jesus, for what I've been looking at. God, God, forgive me, Lord Jesus, for what my mind's been on. Isn't it crazy, no joints like in the battlefield of mine? Isn't it all right up here, isn't it? And, and the things that we do in the games we play with God. And we protest our innocence. Everybody's innocent, you know. 
Everybody's innocent. I'm, I'm not guilty. You go into a jail and nine times out of ten all the guys are innocent. I know because I was in jail for two years ministering guys week after week. You had a couple guys and then they realized that I was wrong. But the most of them were like, got a bum deal on this. Oh, stupid. I'm like, man, that cop didn't need a cop Like, Really? <laughs> and it was funny, I had a ticket this last, this last week in the mail at work. You know, because I company cars. My mom was like, Steve, you got a ticket. And I'm like, what? Steve got a ticket? Oh! <laughs> I was going to the Cubs game with my dad, and I, I think the light had turned red. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the crazy thing was, there was a picture of my car going through the intersection in Chicago. And it showed the intersection here and there. I wanted to call and say, there's something wrong with your stoplights. I was not going through and it was red. I can do that. I was guilty. And it's all right there before us. We know we're guilty. But what do we do? We quantify and we qualify. Well, the reason I'm doing this is because of that. And we, we move this and we say, well, this is why I'm here. And this is, my spouse did this, so she deserves that. And he did this, so she, man, isn't that ugly place to be. We blame everyone else but ourselves. And here's a challenge as our presumed innocence. I read a beautiful book, a little book, Calvary Road. It's an old book by Roy Hassan. Has anybody heard of that book? It's called The Calvary Road. Little, little book. Big nuggets in there. I was reading it. It says, We've all become so used to condemning the proud, self-righteous attitude of the Pharisee and the parable of the Pharisee and the publican that we can hardly believe that the picture of him there is meant to apply to us, which only shows how much like him we really are. The Sunday school teacher was never so much a Pharisee when she finished her lesson on this parable with the words, And now, children, we can thank God that we are not like this Pharisee. God is wanting to humble us at the cross of Jesus and show us the sins in our hearts that are hindering personal revival. See, we all talk, remember the publican, let me share that story of the publican and the, and the Pharisee. The publican was at the very back of the sanctuary. He was in shame. There's that word shame. He was embarrassed for his sins. And he sat in the back and he said, Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me. Those were some of his key words. Lord, Forgive me, have mercy on me. I'm a horrible person. But I want you to get a sense of that, kind of as he was crying and going through the pain of the situation. And then you had the, the Pharisee, kind of like the proud American church person, saying, Lord, thank you.
God that we're not like the Pharisee. See, here's the thing. He said this. Roy Hassan goes on to continue. The only thing beautiful about the Christian life, are you ready for this? Is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing beautiful about you or me today. Because without Jesus Christ, we have hell. Without his sacrifice, you and I are caught dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing good in us without him. The only reason that Steve can boldly go to the throne of grace is because Jesus sat at the mercy seat in the sin of atonement, and he atoned for my sins. He not only covered them up, he blotted them out. He took away all my iniquity. It was only because of him. Not because of a cute thing that I did but because Jesus covered my junk up. That's the only reason I can go there. The only thing beautiful about Steve Lack today is that when God sees me, he sees Jesus Christ. John Piper wrote this. He had a two-day conference on the idea of sin. He says, I recall pausing as I read and asking myself, do I know my condition? Do I know what he means by essential sinfulness? In other words, the depravity of man. Do I have a grasp of what it is about me that requires the death of God-man for me to be saved? Do I have any suitable notion of my own evil? This is somehow proportionate to what it costs to save me. Do you know what it costs for you to have salvation today? It costs the death of God-man Jesus Christ. Not a fixing. Not a buffing out some rough edges in your life. You needed a complete overhaul. Steve Lapp needed a complete overhaul. It needed Jesus Christ to die for me to live. That's the gravity of this about you and I. Was It wasn't just a few mistakes. It was our life was in sin. Some legalist Christians will stop boasting as soon as they understand the validity of sin that rests in our own hearts. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now today, the cry of the church right now in this season for America, and you can mark this down, write it in Sharpie marker, do whatever you want, is, Lord, forgive me, I have sinned, we are the guilty ones. Let our altars be flooded by tears of believers running Back to God. And do you know what? When revival happens, it always happens at the altar of repentance. It always happens in our heart where we start to see change and God starts to awaken us out of our old self into our new me. And we don't live the old way that we used to live. That's the mark of the believer. What did Jesus say about our hearts? Some of you are probably thinking, man, see, this is awfully crazy. It's way too deep. I don't think it's that bad. What did Jesus have to say about our hearts? Let's see what Jesus said. He's the one. The red letter parts, we do that. Matthew 15, 19 says this. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slanders. These are what divide you or defile you. By the way, that word sexual immorality goes back to the word pornographic as our nation is the largest producer of pornographic materials in the world. I think we've got problems. 
Folks, the war is in our hearts. If you refuse to set up boundaries and if you refuse to keep not or to refuse to deal with the core issues in your heart, man, all those core things start to come up. Let's go into Galatians chapter five sixteen. Let's turn to Galatians five sixteen and see what Paul has to say about our hearts. I hope we leave here today very sober and somber. I'm not telling you not to have a good time or have a picnic. I'm just telling you in your heart, there needs to be a soberness in our hearts. Galatians 5, 16 through 19 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh, they are in conflict with each other. I'm sorry, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you, are, that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Here's what the acts of the flesh are. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as before, that those who live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Any of that going on right now in the church in America? Folks, how long in the church are we going to set this bar so low? Comparing ourselves to other people, other situations, comparing ourselves to the world. Folks, your standard is not even the world. I mean, everything across the board with your heart, you need to say, God, is this... Here's the, here's the thing I would ask you two to do as you're becoming and digging deep in your heart. Say, Lord, is this honorable and is this accepting to you? Does this bring honor to you? If it doesn't, get rid of it. And I love how we wrestle with stuff. I don't know if this is bad. I don't know. Man, if it's causing a bunch of problems, just get rid of it. It's a whole lot easier. It's hard living in the gray, isn't it? As you try to manipulate things and make things work for you, man, it hasn't worked. When will we get to the point where it just doesn't work? When will we get to the point where we say, yep, I guess I ran the red light. I blew it. I sinned. I love that verse of Scripture. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Spiritual transformation, we all want it. George Barner wrote about spiritual transformation in his book, Revolution. He says, spiritual transformation is any significant and lasting transition in your life wherein you switch from one substantial perspective or practice to something wholly different that alters you at your very basic level. That's spiritual transformation. Do you know when change comes? is when you've actually changed at your core level and you are becoming a totally different person. You think differently. You act differently. You talk differently. I don't care what you say. You haven't got change if you've got someone pulled out in front of you and you start going, bam, 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 that's too, bam, 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 bam. There's no change. Come on. There's no change if you're talking to your spouse like a dog. There's no change. There's no change if you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You can sing the Hallelujah chorus all along, but if you're not changed at your basic core, you haven't spiritually transformed. 
What are you saying, Pastor? I don't know. You figure it out. You and God. You look for the answers. You pick your Bible up and you start to read it. You start to pray like a dying man and see if change comes in your home. And you take this book seriously. And you take the very words of life and you say, as opposed to me cutting and packaging things and say, well, this is okay and that's okay. This kind of lifestyle is okay and that's okay. When will you get to the point where you say, this is God's standard for my life and I better abide by it. This is not negotiable for me anymore. Can we bring this down to a practical level? It's funny, I was meeting with a couple marriage couple, I shared this before. They're getting ready to get married and I said, you know, there's a couple things we're going to do. We're going to do six weeks of study together. We'll meet once a week, about an hour, go over things. A little cute workbook on marriage. The book's Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. You kind of go through things. Good practical advice for whether you're saved or not, whether you know the Lord or not. But I said, here's what I'm going to tell you two right now. It'll be very real you. You guys, for the next six weeks, will keep your pants on. You'll keep your pants on for six weeks. I don't care what you did before. I don't care what you do after you get married. Marriage bed's undefiled. Go do whatever you want to do. But right now, you're setting this standard by saying, God, we are giving ourselves to you in this covenant for eternity that when the man and woman come together, they become one flesh. I want this for my marriage. Do you want this for your marriage? Yep. Do you want to be a little differently? Because I'm not going to be a clown up there and put a little button on and say, bless them, Lord, take care of them, and da 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 and think that that marriage is going to work. I want you guys to understand the validity of the covenant that you're making right now. You guys okay with that? All right, so here's the deal. They agreed to it. They kind of looked at each other a little surprised. They didn't have passed like this before. <laughs> okay, we got it. But the minute that you do this and you break this, you got to be honest with me. I'm not going to be the pastor marrying you. Is that clear? Yep. Because I don't care about money, what you pay me. I don't care about what it is. Because I'm going to be standing up there blessing that union. Next week they come. They were there before me. They're a little nervous. Kind of. How's it going, guys? What's going on? We couldn't wait. Well, guys, God, God still work. He'll do stuff. I'm not your guy. We made an agreement. We made a covenant here. See, what does this have to do with sin or whatever? You know, the things that you have, the standards in your life that you start to develop, and you actually let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes, and you actually start to say, God, make prayers and set up boundaries for your life. You know boundaries are a really good and healthy thing. When you start to say, you know what, it doesn't matter what people think, it doesn't matter what people feel, I'm going to stand for this, I'm going to believe this, I'm going to believe what the Bible talks about on fornication and immorality sexual immorality and all these kinds of things. You know, all the crazy things that are driven in this culture right now is all sexual now. And the church just continues to just spoon it and milk it and, yeah, it's okay, yeah, you're okay, I'm okay. We're not okay. 
And our standards have just got to get back to the place where we understand that there needs to be transformation. George Barner wrote this in his spiritual transformation. He goes on to write, Switching from a Methodist church to a Presbyterian church is not transformational. (laughs) Determining to live in accordance with the biblical worldview is. Did you catch that? To live your life in accordance to God's standard, that is spiritual transformation. Doing things different. Call it whatever you want, swimming upstream against the grain, doing whatever, but a complete and total makeover of things in your life and realizing that this isn't about church now anymore, the church games. We all play it, we all say it, we all do it. Now it's understanding that I want to be transformed more and more and to be like Jesus Christ. Webster's Dictionary, by the way, defines compromise as this, a change that makes something worse and that is not done for a good reason. And we've been compromising in the church with our lifestyles, how we do things. You know, the Bible declares it like this for you and I. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not our buddy, our pal. He's God. And this is where, when we become understanding of understanding and saying, Man, when I've compromised this, something worse. And I've done this because it's not for a good reason. Selfish motives, I don't care what they are. It doesn't have to be grave sins. It's just small compromises that we start laying out. Say it's okay. and You know, it's about love. I love her. I get love. Love, love. love will wait, folks. I'm just telling you right now. Love waits. Love waits. The Bible in Amos, God declared to Amos, and he said, I've set a plumb line. And a plumb line is a string with a weight. Now, I'm not an engineering guy or a building guy, but essentially what that weight did was it measured things vertically against the wall to make sure that it was plumb. And when we were building this church, uh, the plumb line was very negotiable. (laughs) The walls were like this, you know, like that. And see, what happens with our life, we do this, is we take our life, and we try to put the Word of God against our life, and it sticks a little bit, but it's a little off here, and it's not quite lining up. Well, that's okay, because at least 70% of my life is lined up with that. Come on, can we be honest, sinners and saints here, and say, have you ever prayed like that before? Okay, so now we've got, we got a good portion of it. I'm okay. You know, I'm not like that guy over there. We're going back down to the Pharisees, though, aren't we? You see what we do? And so when we get that plumb line, we understand when we light it up, then what God does with us is He and His Word is the standard. The Word is all we have to lean on. We can't lean on emotion. We can't lean on Oprah. We can't lean on any of this stuff. We have to lean on the Word of God. So when we set up against it and it's not lined up and straight, either the wall's not straight, being the Bible, or I'm not straight. And so the plumb line comes out and God says, now here is the, here's the testing part. Here's the first part. Here's the refining part. Until you line up with my word, we go back into the fire again. You know, I was meeting with Jordan. His dad, Matt, had been in the Marines. And Matt, 
was sharing story after story what these drill instructors would put these guys through. Now, I don't want you to compare God, the loving God is love, to a drill instructor. My point is, is that what they're trying to get these guys to do is understand is that isn't about them anymore. They are focused on something other than themselves now. You are not even a name anymore. <laughs> And so as that breakdown happens and as we get understanding that this life is more about Christ and Him being glorified than myself, then that plumb line starts to be established and there is less compromising going on and we don't change that makes something worse. We actually change for the better. Turn us around and we say, I need to change. Folks, I'm going to tell you this really simple. This is for all of us. I'm in this boat. I was telling Anna, I'm like, great, i got to preach on repentance. <laughs> Not for you guys, but for myself, just making sure I'm doing this. But if any part of our life is not lining up with the pages of this book, folks, we've got to make the necessary adjustments. You might have less friends for it. You might have less work for it. You might be less popular. You might be in a different place and time and space in your life. But the change will be for the better, I'm telling you. We're dealing with the trash this week, I want to wrap with this. Sandra, if you want to come up. We're dealing with trash. I think I'm about done here. I might as well be done. And uh, I'm funny with trash. So we're taking this, one of the day's trash out. And I had packaged up. The kitchen always gets full of all the stuff. you got to get the kitchen trash out because it's got all the stuff. Get the kitchen trash out. And that back door is right by the kitchen. So I put it in this big black sack and... Our, our trash can, and I'm a connected garage, our garage is disconnected, and it's over an unattached garage, and i got to go around, so it's like, you know, I have to tear steps out and <laughs> Put it right there. What do I say about the trash? I'll get to that. So I go out, and I'm going to do the lawn on Friday. It was one day after the trash was out, and now the trash is everywhere on the porch. And I'm like, hey, stupid trash! To so even blame the trash at that point. We're not blaming ourselves. See, you dumb trash. No. <laughs> cleaning that up, cleaning the mess up. And I was thinking that for a moment. And Hebrews 12 tells us to take away every weight and every sin that so easily entangles. Doesn't sin just easily ensnare us. We are so quick to get into stuff, and we get into that stuff, but with that trash. And then what happens is such a glorious thing on Monday morning is Sunday night I put the trash on. I've got my mound of trash. Have you ever wondered where all that trash goes to, by the way? And it always gets taken. I'm 40 years old, and every Monday morning, trash has always been taken. It's pretty amazing. Taking that trash out. I get so excited about trash. <laughs> no, it's funny. I'll be trash. Sometimes about big boxes, you've got to get out of where we build stuff or whatever. They've got a lot of trash. I'll even call him for work. And did the trash guy take all the trash? <laughs> yep, see, he did. Once again, the trash man took the trash. See, here's the cool thing with Christ is that he does take our trash. And do you know what he does with our sin, our trash, our filth, our junk? Is he actually sends it to the sea of forgetfulness. Do you know that? So that when you break this under the blood of Jesus, I'm not asking you guys to go root around in old stuff that you've already dealt with. What I'm asking you to do is go inspect yourself and see if there's any trash laying around and any bags that need to go back to the kingdom of God. Say, God, I'm putting it at your altar now. If we can imagine today like this, 
All of us just taking our bags of stuff, all of our burdens, all of our sins, all of the waste, all the trauma, and literally, like the Bible says, we lift it off our shoulders and we dump it at Him and allow Him to deal with the trash. Here's the cool thing with Christ. He will not peel through your trash. I know there's trash collectors out there make a lot of money doing that stuff. Guys do all sorts of stuff. They got their things when they come, they drive on by. They're throwing stuff. I help guys load stuff. Do you know, Jesus is not a trash digger, but he does get rid of it. He won't dig through trash, bring stuff up. He won't rub it in your face. See, you made this mess. I can't believe it. He won't bring your trash back to you and say, I can't believe this. He will get rid of it. He will get rid of it. It's an amazing and amazing and amazing thing. Here's the other cool thing about this sin thing. Luke 7.47 says this, He who is forgiven much, loves much. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment. Here's what's going to happen to you today is God starts working some things in your heart and in your life when it comes to sin. I'm not going to do a one, two, three, raise your hand, we'll pray together as a team today. What I am going to say this is with every head bowed and every eye closed, I do want this place up here to become an altar once again. And us get to the point where we say it's not okay, Pastor. It's not okay. And I want us to come down to this altar and kneel before this altar. You don't have to, this isn't announced it. I won't bring a microphone up here. Have you announced your sins before the congregation of the Lord? But I will ask you in a very deep moment to say, God, I today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am giving these sins to you. I ask you forgive me. I repent. And here's what's going to happen. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful ending to this horrible story of sin and what the sin curse has caused on this planet. Jesus declared this. God said this. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. See, here's the cool thing for a believer's life. This isn't about you coming up with a strength and a will to be strong in the Lord. It's Christ himself who gives you the strength to do what it is you're supposed to do. It's the new heart that Christ gives to you today. Paul, or David declared this. He said, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Today when you come up here, if God is specifically speaking to you about something that you need to repent of, I don't want you to slack back for fear. This is a great place. This is a place of ultimately celebration because God gets glory and we let go of some junk in our life. I don't care if you've been a believer for 120 years. If there are some idols in your life, don't hold on to them anymore. But I do ask you, come to the altar as a sign of surrender as you kneel before the Lord here and say, God, I am giving you my heart. I'm going to pray real quick and then I want to take a few minutes to allow you to respond to that. Father, I thank you today. 
So it's not an easy thing. It's not fun dealing with problems. But I thank you that you're the great physician. And when you see and recognize things, Father, you come to fix things and make things right. And Lord, I just pray right now with all of our hearts, with Turning Point Church, I pray that it would burn hot on fire for you. And that our heart plea would be, God, have mercy over my church. Have mercy over me and my family. God, have mercy over this nation that is running towards the flames of hell. What is it that God calls you to do personally at this point? In Jesus' name. right now would want to pray or anything specific. Maybe the Holy Spirit be leading you to pray. Feel free to pray right now if you want to pray out loud.
Lord, I can't help but think of the verse that said, let there be repentance so that rivers of refreshing may come. Lord, as we've all been here today, we're not looking for the quick fix. We're not looking for, well, I pray that prayer and everything's going to just be hunky-dory. Lord, we, we want you to cause transformation in our life. We ask God right now that the restoring waters would flow as a result of that repentance. And as these people made some changes in their mind and their heart, God, I pray that you give them the strength to do it. Just like that verse in Ezekiel says that you give us a new heart. And even put in us the very ability to obey the laws that you place there. That there's freedom. Whomever the sun sets free is free indeed. And as we left this stuff here right now, don't keep bringing it up. Give it to God and start moving out in the new life that God has for you. And you will have freedom and you will have victory like never before. Lord, I pray your hand of blessing be on our families right now, Father. This year to come here in America, God, may our churches, Lord Jesus, burn bright. And we will stand in the gap, Lord Jesus, for this nation and for our families. And all that change will start within our own hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, I love you, love you, love you very much. And don't ever forget that repentance is a beautiful gift. And don't ever stop confessing and giving to God those things that hold you back. I don't care if you trip up this week, you say, Lord, I messed up, forgive me. Remember, he's got that paper with that red light you just passed, okay? (laughs) I love you guys very much, and he's going to give you the grace and strength to have victory. God bless you.